Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our podcast entitled Physical Rehabilitation and Lung Transplantation. I'm Dr. Dmitry Rosenberg, a pulmonologist with the University Health Network and Lung Transplant Program with a special interest in pulmonary rehabilitation. Joining me today are two colleagues with a wealth of knowledge in this area. Dr. Sadita Matar is a physical therapist and assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Toronto. She's also an investigator in the Canadian National Transplant Research Program. Welcome, Sunita. And second colleague is Lisa Wickerson, who's a physical therapist in the Toronto Lung Transplant Program at the University Health Network. She's also a lecturer in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Toronto, and is currently pursuing her PhD examining issues around oxygenation and exercise training in interstitial lung disease, which comprises uh, the largest proportion of patients undergoing lung transplantation. So I have a welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Uh, so I'll begin uh, with my first question for Lisa. Maybe you can provide a brief overview for us of the Toronto Lung Transplant Program and the patient population that you work with in rehabilitation. Certainly. And I'd just like to start by saying thank you for inviting me to uh, speak on this topic today. So at uh, the University Health Network, we have a very large uh, lung transplant program. In uh, 2016, uh, we did over 140 uh, adult lung transplant uh, surgeries. At our center, we do have uh, mandatory rehabilitation, both uh, pre-transplant and post-transplant. We are an adult center, so uh, the patients that we see are anywhere from 18 years of age upwards. Uh, we have no strict upper age limit, and we do have a high proportion of our patients are in their 60s and 70s. We also have a high proportion of people diagnosed with interstitial lung disease. We have individuals who are awaiting retransplantation, and we also have a select group that uh, undergo a bridge to transplant, either with mechanical ventilation or extracorporeal life support. Thank you for that. So Lisa, for your, uh, to follow up on this, uh, maybe you can elaborate on the, clinical, the typical clinical course post-transplant and the main rehabilitation goals. Okay. Um, typical clinical course, uh, individuals would be in the intensive care unit for about two to three days, uh, follow up, followed up by an acute step-down unit for five to six days, and then on the hospital ward for eight to ten days. And then after discharge, would participate in about two months of outpatient rehabilitation until their three months uh, post-transplant. And the rehabilitation goals here would be to uh, titrate to room air with uh, activity and exercise, to achieve independence in walking, assistance of daily living, uh, stairs, and being able to participate in moderate intensity aerobic exercise for 30 to 45 minutes, to have their lower extremity muscle strength return to their pre-transplant levels, and achieve a six-minute walk distance uh, between 75 to 80% predicted. And it's very important that we have weekly progression of both aerobic and resistance uh, exercise training volumes. However, I'd just like to uh, point out that some people do experience a complicated post-op uh, clinical course and can have a much longer length of stay due to prolonged mechanical ventilation and uh, medical complications. And this can really impact the rehabilitation participation and expectations. And the goals here may be more on achieving functional ability, such as transfers, uh, walking, and balance, so that they can be discharged home. And a number of these uh, individuals may also require inpatient rehabilitation um, following acute care. 
Lisa, thanks for that uh, great overview of the rehabilitation uh, program in the post-transplant period. Um, can you elaborate if there's any guidance for the appropriate length of time for which rehabilitation post-transplant should be provided? Sure. Um, I'll start by speaking about the early post-transplant phase. So the optimal time for supervised rehabilitation following lung transplant is not known. Uh, previous research studies have used between three to four months, and most of the study participants have had a relatively uncomplicated clinical course. Fuller and colleague published a study this year that compared seven weeks and uh, 14 weeks of supervised rehabilitation and found comparable improvements in six-minute walk distance, lower extremity strength, and quality of life six months post-transplant. It is important to note that the group that underwent seven weeks of supervised rehab also had an additional seven weeks of home exercise um, program with weekly phone calls from the research team to discuss and advise on exercise uh, prescription and progression. So different models of offering rehabilitation, um, supervised rehabilitation, such as tele-rehabilitation, uh, is an area that's emerging and may increase access and opportunity in this population. It's also important to recognize that the program duration is only one aspect of rehabilitation, and we also need to evaluate the optimal frequency and intensity, duration, and modes of training. And uh, perhaps, Nita, you can talk to the guidelines in the, in the later post-op course in terms of rehabilitation. Sure. Thanks, Lisa. So for the long-term post-transplant, it's important for lung transplant recipients to also be counseled on how to maintain their exercise and physical activity and how to continue to progress based on their own goals. This is really essential because physical activity needs to become part of their lifestyle habit. Transplant recipients also need to be counseled on how to restart their exercise if they undergo an episode of acute illness or rejection that may even require hospitalization, so it's sometimes difficult to get back on track after such a period. There's also opportunities for transplant recipients to participate in sports and high-performance activities. Since they no longer have the ventilatory limitation, there's a lot of a potential for them to engage in sports and, and other types of endurance events. So activities such as the transplant games provide a really good avenue for those individuals who have these types of goals. Thank you, uh, Lisa and Sunita, for that uh, great overview of uh, the strategies uh, used in the post-transplant period. So, Sunita, follow-up question for you. So, what are some of the physiological limitations to exercise following lung transplantation? Sure. So, exercise limitation generally is broken down into two main components. Central limitations, which refer to the heart and lungs, and peripheral limitations, which refer to the circulation and the muscle. So after the lung transplant, the central limitation of impaired ventilation that was the main limiting factor pre-transplant is alleviated. However, exercise capacity still doesn't reach predicted levels in most transplant recipients. Earlier studies from the 1990s showed that on average, lung transplant recipients reached about 40 to 60% of their predicted VO2 max or aerobic capacity based on age and sex mass matched norms. And this is actually similar across other transplant groups as well, such as heart, kidney, and liver. So we see a similar pattern of reduced exercise capacity. So the focus of the exercise limitation post-transplant is mostly on peripheral limitations and primarily on the muscle's ability to extract and utilize oxygen. This seems to be impaired post-transplant, and it might be related to deconditioning and also to the immunosuppressant medications, specifically calcineurin inhibitors, which affect mitochondrial function. 
And another side effect of immunosuppression medications is anemia. Um, That can affect the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood, so less oxygen is reaching the working muscle. Not all transplant recipients experience anemia, but it can be a limiting factor in some people. Another factor is muscle strength, and that's known to be reduced post-transplant. Quads muscle strength has been shown to correlate to exercise capacity, both from the six-minute walk test and cycle testing, so that might limit exercise capacity post-transplant. Again, there's several factors that affect muscle strength. Uh, One of them is corticosteroid medications, which is used in the post-transplant period, and of course also deconditioning. And so although I've mentioned that side effects of immunosuppression can affect the muscles, both the oxygen capacity as well as the strength, it doesn't necessarily mean that muscle function cannot be improved through exercise training post-transplant. So, Sunita, thank you for that great overview of uh, the physiological limitations experienced by lung transplant recipients. Um, So a follow-up question is, uh, based on the evidence, uh, what are some of the broad recommendations to exercise prescription and progression for people undergoing lung transplantation? So the major components of exercise training following lung transplant include both aerobic training and resistance training. It's important to keep in mind, as I mentioned before, that after the transplant, there's an improvement um, in the ventilatory limitations. So exercise capacity will increase, and patients will no, no longer experience shortness of breath as the primary limitation limiting their exercise capacity. Most transplant recipients will find that leg fatigue can limit their ability to exercise. They'll also be able to perform aerobic exercise at a higher intensity than in the pre-transplant phase. So for people with a stable and uncomplicated post-transplant course, aerobic training, including the treadmill and cycle training, can be started at a moderate intensity, around 60% of max work rate on a cycle, or 75 to 80% of walking speed from their six-minute walk test. This is similar to the pulmonary rehabilitation guidelines, but in the post-transplant period, there's potential for faster progression and the ability for these individuals to reach higher intensities and duration of aerobic training. For resistance training, this also needs to be emphasized post-transplant. As I mentioned before, muscle limitations become very important in this phase. Currently, there aren't any specific um, evidence-based guidelines for resistance training in any of the solid organ transplant groups, so we don't have clear guidelines on the best approaches for resistance training and whether we need to emphasize strength or endurance-based training. But again, starting with the general principles of resistance training, we can begin with 40 to 60% of a one repetition max, and it's important to include weekly progressions for resistance training. So progression becomes really important in the post-transplant period, both for aerobic and resistance training to increase the intensity of exercise, as again, there's a big potential for improvement post-transplant. And an excellent description of how exercise was progressed weekly in a post-transplant rehab program is provided um, in a recent paper by Fuller et al. that Lisa discussed previously. And in this paper, they compare short and long-duration rehabilitation in lung transplant recipients, and they very carefully describe the weekly progression in exercise training in their paper. So based on the current research and our own clinical experience, we have summarized approaches to exercise training in an expert review that we published in the World Journal of Transplantation, and this covers um, aerobic and resistance training for people with a stable, uncomplicated post-transplant course, as well as some of the features of training that you might use in people that have had a more complicated post-transplant course. Sunita, thank you um, for that um, summary of uh, the exercise prescription and uh, progression in the post-transplant period. And uh, getting back to Lisa now, um, 
can you uh, describe some of the challenges encountered during the post-transplant uh, rehabilitation phase? Sure. And I'll speak again to the early post-transplant period. The majority of people with a typical clinical course do well. Um, episodes of infection and rejection are not uncommon and need to be assessed and treated in a timely manner. However, new medical issues can arise quickly in this population. Other medical issues that we can encounter are uh, cardiovascular issues such as atrial fibrillation, anemia, uh, peripheral edema, venothrombotic events, and the development uh, of hypertension. Uh, musculoskeletal issues can include uh, sternal pain, instability, and infection. Metabolic issues such as a new diagnosis of diabetes or glucose intolerance that may not be stable or well-controlled. And in terms of oxygenation, uh, a few patients may require oxygen for several weeks following hospital discharge. So we need to balance um, our, how we um, titrate oxygen versus increasing and progressing endurance exercise. In people with a complicated post-op clinical course, we see the issues uh, that are seen in the critical illness population, such as myopathies and neuropathies. We can see diaphragmatic paralysis and suboptimal lung function, uh, poor wound healing, and having to organize rehabilitation around hemodialysis schedules. In addition, we may see issues with anxiety, although this often arises and is identified during the post-op hospital stay and is followed up in the outpatient uh, setting. So Lisa, thank you for that uh, great overview of uh, some of the medical uh, challenges and practical aspects in the post-transplant rehabilitation period. Um, so my next question for you is, what are the common clinical outcomes assessed in rehabilitation post-transplant, and how do they differ from uh, standard pulmonary rehabilitation? Sure. Um, so the most common uh, outcome is a, is a measure of functional exercise capacity, and at our center we use a six-minute uh, walk test, and this is the most common one used um, in Canada. However, we do see uh, some people after uh, transplant do reach a ceiling effect uh, with this test as they're uh, not permitted to run uh, during the test. And although transplant recipients can be uh, medically complex, as Sunita mentioned, they do have a large potential to regain function, uh, physical activity, and different societal roles. And these be may be very important key outcomes uh, to assess in this population. In addition, uh, Sunita mentioned that the ventilatory and gas exchange are not the primary uh, issues limiting exercise and that we should think about um, in lung transplant programs routinely examining peripheral muscle dysfunction, both uh, muscle strength, endurance, muscle quality in a standardized way so that we can make comparisons um, across centers and throughout uh, the individual's post-transplant journey. So Lisa, thank you for that overview of uh, the common clinical outcomes assessed in the early post-transplant period. Um, Sunita, so uh, getting back um, to uh, the clinical outcomes uh, and uh, some of the research outcomes, what additional outcomes are pertinent to a transplant population and how are they useful in assessing the effectiveness of exercise training based on your research findings? So in addition to the walk test that Lisa just discussed, there are outcomes that we've been using in our research that more specifically target muscle strength and lower extremity function. In the pre-transplant period, there's increasing attention to the evaluation of frailty and sarcopenia. These measures may also be used post-transplant, and they might be used to help stratify patients who have more specific rehabilitation needs. The freed frailty index is the most common assessment of physical frailty. 
For sarcopenia, a combination of muscle mass, strength, and function is used. Some of the outcomes that are used um, for sarcopenia and frailty include quadriceps muscle strength, gait speed over a short distance like 4 meters, and sit-to-stand tests like the 5 times sit-to-stand. A composite measure that can be used for physical function is the short physical performance battery, which includes a short balance test, gait speed, and sit-to-stand. In our research, we've also evaluated muscle size with ultrasound and body composition using bioelectrical impedance analysis. However, these tests might be more likely applied in a research setting rather than in a clinical setting. In the early post-transplant period, similar functional outcomes like gait speed and sit-to-stand are still important. Quadriceps strength is another important measure in the early post-transplant period, as it's been shown by our group and by others to decline due to the hospitalization period and then improve with exercise training and the resumption of activities of daily living. In the later post-transplant period, such as after six months, it's important to shift the focus towards patient-reported outcomes, such as quality of life. You could use a scale such as the SF36, self-efficacy, sleep, and mental health outcomes. Measures of physical activity, either either using a questionnaire or an objective physical activity monitor like an accelerometer could be used. Also, cardiovascular and metabolic measures such as blood pressure, blood glucose, and body composition are important as late complications may arise. And this is suggested in the paper by Langer et al. in 2012 that these risk factors may actually be improved through regular physical activity. So, Serena, thank you for that overview of the early and uh, late um post-transplant outcomes that should be assessed in uh, rehabilitation. Um, So a follow-up question, um, and to conclude, can you summarize the key rehabilitation research gaps for lung transplant population? Sure. So there's several exciting avenues for future research in exercise and rehabilitation. Our group published a report from an expert meeting in 2014 in the American Journal of Transplantation, and following this meeting, we developed a network called CanRestore to address some of the current gaps and challenges in exercise and physical activity in the Canadian context. Some of the key areas of research that we identified at the expert meeting include examining the long-term effects of exercise and physical activity on clinical outcomes such as high blood pressure, body composition, blood glucose and diabetes, bone health, as well as allograft dysfunction and all-cause mortality. There are other novel outcomes that have shown positive effects in other populations, but have not been well studied in transplant populations, such as the effects of exercise on mental health, such as anxiety and depression, as well as on sleep and on cognitive function. There has been a growing body of evidence of the importance of frailty and sarcopenia as predictors of pre- and post-transplant outcomes. However, studies on whether frailty can be modified through exercise training in the pre- or post-transplant phase are definitely needed as a next step. This also provides opportunities for collaboration with our colleagues in nutrition. In a group of patients that are understudied in trials of exercise training are individuals who experience a complex course pre- or post-transplant and have greater functional limitations. Exercise programs for these individuals likely need to be targeted at a different level, and they may even require different outcomes than training studies for recipients with a typical post-transplant course. These studies could be done with our colleagues in critical care, who are also starting to examine the role of rehabilitation following patients who have a prolonged intensive care stay. And lastly, the impact of participation in sports and high performance on fitness, mental health, and overall wellness also requires further study in the transplant population. Sporting events like the Canadian Transplant Games and the World Transplant Games provide excellent opportunities to explore the various physiological and psychosocial aspects of participating in sports after transplant. 
Thank you, Dr. Matarn, uh, Ms. Wickerson, for that great overview on rehabilitation in the lung transplant patient. So as you heard today, physical rehabilitation of lung transplant recipients plays an integral role in helping with the physical recovery post-transplant. Rehabilitation in the post-transplant period improves quality of life, recovery of musculoskeletal strength, and physical activity. And from a clinical and research standpoint, patients with a complex perioperative course have very different rehabilitation requirements and further research is required in this patient population. In addition, future research directions should include examination of alternative modes of exercise training, development of a core set of physical function measures, and examining the rehabilitation needs of patients beyond the early post-transplant period. Thank you for listening. 